everybody, welcome to this Board Game Life episode number 33, titled Off the Beaten Path, recorded on Sunday, August 3rd, 2014. On this show, I'm going to be covering a whole bunch of games, including Lectio, which is also known as Lexio, Paperback, Super Fantasy Ugly Snouts Edition, The Institute for Magical Arts. Then uh, going back to episode number 13 for the 20 Shows Ago segment, and doing some quick hits on Busy Town Airport, Lords of Waterdeep, Balloon Cup, Tooth and Nail, Sedition Wars, and the Twilight Struggle PC Edition game. So here we go, cue up the music. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Rob Milanovic, your host for the show. Thanks for joining me once again. I'm very happy to have you here with me for another episode. I uh, can't believe we're already pretty much halfway through the year. Actually, we're more than halfway through the year. And uh, for me, the halfway point is kind of Gen Con, at least from the gaming standpoint. We've got the conventions that are early on in the year. Then we have Gen Con right smack dab in the middle of the year. And then we finish out the year with Spiel, of course, out in Europe. I've really been toying with the idea of... Uh, doing a pre-Gen Con show. I'll see if I can get it out in the next uh, week or so. And, uh, you know, definitely got to have it out before Gen Con. So pretty much got a hard date of, uh, of the middle of uh, Gen Con week there. Then uh, on other news or little updates here, uh, I've been pretty busy on the websites for this Xbox Life and this board game life. Uh, we've done another server migration, moving everything to uh, a virtual server, and uh, hopefully that'll solve some of the performance issues that we've been having over the, the past year or so with our hosting company. So uh, that remains to be seen. Then uh, I've got a big backlog of videos. I'm trying to sort through those. Uh, there's some camera issues I've been having. I don't really like how the quality's been turning out. A little grainy light issues. So I've got a, a good portion of that stuff kind of knocked out. And I'll be posting a whole bunch of videos out to the YouTube channel pretty soon. And then, uh, of course, uh, hey, check out our YouTube channel. Uh, that's youtube.com slash thisboardgamelife. And uh, on Twitter, you can find This Board Game Life as tboardgamelife. So uh, follow tboardgamelife and see some of the latest happenings and, and all that with This Board Game Life. So let's get on to the first game. Lectio, which was also known as Lexio, was released in 2004, originally by Dagoy, and now it's being published by Ubo CNC. The designer is Thomas H. Young, uh, plays three to five players, about 20 minutes or so, uh, ages eight and up. This is a tile-based hand management climbing game. So instead of cards, you're going to be using these really awesome, super thick uh, Bakelite bricks, essentially, uh, for this game give you kind of a quick rundown of the game. In the game, uh, a player leads a tile or a set of tiles, and the other players must follow by either playing a higher tile or a set of tiles, also that are higher, or passing. A play continues until all players have passed in succession uh, after the final play, and the player who played the last set leads next. Play continues until one player has played all of their tiles, then each player pays chips to the players who performed better. Basically, the player who went out will get paid by all of the other players, 
and then the other players pay points to one another based on the difference in the number of tiles that each had at the end of the hand. Basically, a game lasts five rounds, and the player at the end of the game with the most points wins, of course. That's pretty standard, I guess. Uh, the components in this game are what really make this game shine. The, the tiles are these, again, super thick uh, Bakelite pieces about, I'd say almost as probably one and a half to two times as thick as hive uh, pieces. So they're going to be pretty thick. They're really nice and heavy. And uh, that's one thing that just makes this game awesome. It, it, they they feel, feel really good in the hand, and they're really cool to play with. Uh, what you get in the game is you get 15 tiles in four different colors and a whole bunch of like little uh, you know token chips that you use for money. And there's three different kinds and different denominations. Uh, color blindness, uh, it's it's not bad. Uh, I I think that everybody should probably be okay with this game. At least I didn't have a problem. I've got the red-green variety, personally. Uh, if you have something else, uh, I can't really uh, speak to that then. Uh, the insert is pretty good because the pieces fit in there really snugly. I was actually pretty impressed about that, too. So it definitely gets a double thumbs up. Uh, Artwork and such, pretty basic. Uh, don't expect much from this. It's just basically numbers and then some uh, Korean symbols and such. So uh, gameplay, I kind of gave you the whole gist of the game, the rundown uh, about a minute or two ago. Uh, the game will play until uh, five rounds have passed or until one player totally runs out of uh, chips. Uh the person that wins the game is the person has the most points or the most chips. Um, and uh, that, that's pretty much about it here. Uh, the game is very easy to pick up, super easy to pick up. Although I, I must admit that uh, I did have one big problem with the game when I was learning. It was pretty late. I think it was around 2 a.m. or so when uh, I was being taught the game. And the game has this... Uh, at least it was a little strange for me at the time, at least at 2 a.m. in the morning, is that the numbering is slightly off on these things. So these tiles have numbers uh, from 1 to 12, and it starts off with 3, then it goes through 12, and then 1 and 2. So a 1 is higher than a 12, and a 2 is higher than a 1. I mean, that's that's pretty elementary, but... I kept getting confused as to what was higher than what and and such. But uh, now, of course, at a more reasonable hour, well, not that it's much reasonable, it's about two hours prior to that, uh, it, it definitely makes a lot more sense. So that, that was just one interesting thing to note. Uh, otherwise, uh, the scoring of the tiles, of course, is based on the numbers, Again, so a 1 is higher than a 12, 2 is higher than a 1, then the rest of the numbers 3 to 12, uh, they work as to be expected. But the colors of the tiles also matters because the colors are red, green, yellow, and black. But yellow, red is the strongest uh, of the bunch, and followed by green, followed by yellow, followed by black. So a red 3 is stronger than a green three, which is stronger than a yellow three, stronger than a black three. So not only are you dealing with the numbers, you're also dealing with colors. 
which kind of adds a, a interesting little um, change to the game, I guess. And then when you're looking to start the game off, the person with the black three plays first, uh, at least in uh, this particular version. Uh, I believe that uh, depending which version you have, that the rules might be a little bit different. So why is this game fun? It's a really cool uh, climbing game. I love the pieces. They're really awesome Bakelite bricks. Nice and chunky, fun to play with. You kind of stack them up in front of you and you just throw them out there. And the game plays really smooth. Cons to the game, it's really, really hard right now to get it in the U.S. The original company, Dagoy, folded a couple years ago. And uh, from what I understand, the dies were lost to the game. Then uh, the designer contacted the Ubo CNC. They kind of reworked the game and re-released it a couple of years ago. But uh, it's really not available in the U.S. You can, I, I've been able to find it uh, in Korea, which is where the Ubo CNC company is, I believe. And you can get it shipped to you for $70 U.S., which is quite a bit for a game, but you do get these awesome Bakelite pieces, so maybe that's some consolation. And when you think of a game being normally $40, we factor in $30 to ship it from Korea. I'd say that's probably reasonable, so it's a pretty decent deal. Uh, Final thoughts, it's an awesome game. I really enjoyed it. I'm really looking forward to uh, playing it again. if you like, if you like Tichu and those style of games, you'd probably really enjoy this game. It's a fun, quick filler that you can play at uh, the start of your game night, or you could probably finish it out, or finish out your game night with this game as well. But hey, if it's real early in the morning, <laughs> I don't know if you'll have uh, the same issues with me as me with the numbers, with the one and two being higher than the twelve, etc. And the game is definitely replayable. So I really enjoy this game. That's uh, Lectio, as it's currently known right now, uh, previously known as Lexio. Uh, one thing to note as well is that uh, somebody's released on VGG some uh, sticker sheets that you can print out and attach to dominoes to get uh, a similar uh, gameplay experience. So that might be something you might want to check out uh, before you try to actually uh, track this game down. So, again, that was Alectio, also known as Alexio. Next up is the game Paperback. This is a 2014 release by Tim Fowers, who's uh, the publisher and the designer of the game. It plays two to five players in about 45 minutes or so, ages eight and up. This is a card game, a deck-building game to be exact. Uh, Rundown is you are a paperback author trying to finish novels for your editor, complete westerns, science fiction, romance, and even the rare bestseller, Live the Dream and Maybe Pay the Bills. Word building meets deck building in this unique game. Players start with a deck of letter cards and wild cards. Each hand they form words and purchase more powerful letters based on how well their word scored. Most letters have abilities that activate when they're used in a word, such as drawing more cards or double letter score. Players buy wild cards also to gain victory points. You start the game with TRSL 
and N. Those are the letters that are on your cards. And you also have five wilds, which could be any letter, uh, A through Z, of course. Uh, you get 10 cards in your initial starting deck, you know, which is pretty standard for a deck builder style of game. And each hand you use uh, five cards, which is half, of course. And then when you build a word on your turn by using all your different cards, wild, etc., you add up the score, and then that shows you how much you have to purchase cards from the offer at the table center. And the offer is where you have all of the different piles of letters to choose from. You also have the ability to use a common letter that's available to all players. There's a, a couple letters in, in the stack. Uh, once they're all purchased up, uh, the game will end. So that is one of the, the game end triggers. Uh, some letters will have abilities on them while others don't have any. Uh, some of the abilities that you can have are um, add an extra card to your hand. So instead of playing with five cards, you'll have six. Uh, there's an extra bonus when S is used at the end of a word and uh, things such as that. Uh, you can use the wild cards at any time, although they don't score as good as uh, the other cards. Cards in the offer, that's the center of the table, can vary. You'll get some of the cheapies like A through or A or V, and then some of the more expensive cards are going to be scoring you lots of uh, points there. There'll be letters like Q and J, which are going to be a little tougher to use. Uh, the game ends when the common letter pile is empty, like I just mentioned, or two of the stacks in the offer are empty. And then the most fame wins, and uh, that's your, your victory points, essentially. Uh, there's a couple expansions or variants, which include a co-op mode, there's a discount mode where cubes are used to cheapen cards, not purchased. So uh, it definitely uh, sweetens those uh, those cards up a little bit by making them cheaper. There's one called Spacebar, which lets you make two words. So it'll let you insert a space in your, uh, in your word there. And then uh, Dyslexic lets you reverse a two-letter card. Uh, so... Your card, instead of just a single letter on it, let's say it has two letters on there, then you can just switch them around and use them in a different word. There's also a player power variant. Looking at the components that you get with this game, the box is a little odd. At least I think it is. It's what you can call, I guess, just your typical rectangular uh, two-part lift-up card box. But to me, what's kind of odd is that the top doesn't go all the way down, uh, which I guess fixes the problem of being able to, you know, separate the two pieces because you just can easily hold the bottom, you can easily hold the top, and they just lift up. And the way that they accomplish this is that there's a little um, spacer insert in one side that keeps it from uh, fitting all the way on top of the other bottom there. But uh, other than that... The box quality is, is fantastic. With the game, you get essentially cards, and they're fantastic quality. Double thumbs up on the quality of those. No real colorblind issues. Storage, everything fits nicely in the box. And the artwork is uh, pretty nice. I really like the artwork that they've got on the book cards. 
these are the uh, basically the the victory point cards that you are going to be purchasing. The rule book is a really really easy read, only eight pages, very basic. The rules are pretty simple. I just explained them to you in just a couple of seconds a little bit ago. So um, I don't think there's uh, going to be much of a challenge with the rules or the rule book of this game. I really loved this game, and I was shocked. When I first heard about the game, I was like, eh, I don't know, let's play something else. My buddy brought it back out a second time, and I'm like, okay, let's play it, and I was floored. I loved it. It's fantastic. I initially thought, well, deck builder with letters, I don't don't know. But I played it. It's fantastic. And I'm not one to like a lot of word games. I really don't care for like the Scrabble, Words with Friends, or any of those Boggle-style games. Mainly because I'm I'm so bad at them. You know, somebody will do like Xylophone, and I'll do Cat. That's how my words usually wind up. But this game combines deck building with... uh, word building and some really cool mechanisms. I really enjoyed this game. I was shocked. And this is a game that I've got to have cons. It's out of print right now. Unfortunately, there's another printing that's actually happening right now. It should be available later this fall. And I know as, as soon as it's available, I'm getting myself a copy of it. Quick wrap up for this. This is a fantastic game. I really enjoyed it. As I'm probably telling you about it here, you're probably thinking, well, no deck builder, letters, nah, I don't, I don't think so, Rob. You know, you're, you're just, you've got some weird tastes there with this game. But no, this is a fantastic game. Definitely check it out. Definitely replayable. This is one that will definitely get me back to the table playing a deck builder. I really enjoyed Paperback, and uh, I suggest you give this one a shot uh, when it comes back out. Next up, we have Super Fantasy Ugly Snouts Assault. This is definitely one of the strangest titles uh, uh, this year and definitely the strangest game that I've ever talked about on the show. This was released last year in 2013 by Red Glove. The designer is Marco Valtriani. Uh, plays one to six players in about 90 minutes, ages eight and up. This thing is a co-op dungeon crawl board game with dice. Uh, With this game, Super Fantasy is the first hack and slash board game in which up to six players take on the roles of brave and unique heroes. During each game, players embark on tricky and mighty quests into ever-changing dangerous caves and dungeons swarmed with monsters and terrible creatures that try to slaughter them while heroes try to gain treasures as well as better equipment in order to complete the missions. This game is mission-based, and you basically play uh, the game until you either complete or you fail the mission, uh, or scenario, whatever you want to call them. Uh, It's fairly easy to pick up. Uh, There's not a whole lot of super crazy complexity in this game. Uh, you're basically looking at uh, multiple scenarios that you can play, like uh, most of these uh, style games. The game uses these double-sided modular boards, uh, which you use to build the different scenarios. You know, some of them will be rooms, and then you'll get corridors. Uh, there are some really cool bits uh, for the boards. 
You get these really nice treasure chests. You get barrels. Uh, you get uh, these little standy uh, doors, uh, creatures, and so forth. Uh, you get standees also for players, the monsters. I guess there's a lot of standees except for the barrels, treasure, and uh, there's also these little columns, which uh, are, are kind of nice. They All of this really gives the game more of kind of like a, a 3D look, although uh, unfortunately there are, are no minis in this game. And uh, I don't know if that really even matters for it because it's, it's fine without them. Uh, the player boards that you get are quite large. Uh, there's one for each character, uh, one for each player, and it's going to have a listing of your stats and uh, three special abilities uh, that each player has. Uh, each ability can be leveled up. Uh, this is kind of a, a nifty little thing. And uh, you can use your experience uh, to level these uh, abilities up. And these abilities, uh, before you use them, they have to be charged up with star dice in order for you to use them. Abilities include uh, fighting uh, abilities, movement, and, and other such things. And uh, on your turn, you use dice to basically find uh, out if you meet certain criteria. Uh, the dice have uh, one sword, two swords, and a star on them. Uh, when you get a star, or when you roll a star on your dice, uh, you get to power up one of the abilities one tick. So... Each ability has four total spots, so you start off with uh, the lowest spot, and you move them up uh, three times total for a total of four. You can choose a number of dice that you roll uh, each time when you're trying to see if you can uh, meet uh, whatever you're trying, whatever criteria you're trying to meet. Uh, so you can choose the amount of dice that you do. You can use them all to kind of make a sure thing, but you're kind of limiting yourself later. And uh, once you exhaust all of your dice, basically use them all up, uh, you have to pass, and it goes on to the next player. Uh, the players uh, go in whatever order they want, uh, whatever makes most sense based on their abilities is what you'd probably want to do. Uh, so if you know somebody's a really good fighter, they might go in there first, whereas the weaker players might go in last or if they're really hurting. Uh you roll monster dice uh, to see if uh, the monsters uh, wake up, uh, if they move or they go through doors. Uh, that kind of happens after all of the movement. And when the monsters move, they move in a particular order and they go after a player with a certain color. So um, I, I guess uh, you can probably use that to choose which character you want to play. And, uh, in this game, you don't really die and uh, get knocked out of the game. Uh, what happens is you basically fall over and you sit out for a turn. Maybe you can think of it like being paralyzed or you get knocked out. However, uh, there's a tracker that you have in the game where the there's a like a player counter that moves up on the tracker. I believe it was uh, 1 through 20. But uh, there's a player tracker that moves up, and then there's a monster tracker that moves down. Uh, when those two tracks move together, or they meet together, that's when the game's over. 
So whatever your mission is, you're going to try to accomplish it before this tracker converges and finishes the game for you. So this game is uh, was a pretty neat little game. It, when I first started, uh, when I first sat down at the table, my buddy uh, basically told me, you've never heard of this game. And I said, you know what? I have not. You're absolutely right. And <laughs> I asked, is it like Gauntlet? Yes, it's like Gauntlet, which I was surprised. I was trying to be a smart aleck with that. And I'd say it, it, it does kind of fit that Gauntlet type of mode. Uh, so you've got a scenario that you're trying to accomplish. You got all your characters, that all your players, they start off in one area. They try to go through rooms. You try to fight off the monsters. They keep coming at you from different sides. There's a little bit of tension in there on if the monsters wake up in the adjoining rooms. Uh, basically, you um, in order to explain that a little bit here, when you're uh, doing something in a room and there's monsters in adjacent rooms, if you make noise and such, you could wake up the monsters and then they start heading over towards you. If there's doorways in the way, uh, that might buy you some time because monsters have to roll to see if they actually get through the doors. Uh, they don't go through walls, of course. They have to go through the corridors, follow the same uh, logic as, as the players as players, you can also go after the treasure chests to see what kind of loot you have in there and such. Uh, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a fun little game. Um, I guess it's really not a little game. There's a lot of stuff to it, a lot of bits. Um, it lays out really nice on the table. But uh, most importantly, it's fun. I didn't think that it got dragged down in terms of complexity, in terms of rules and such. And... Uh, we were able to actually complete the scenario, which nobody thought we could. Maybe we just uh, lucked out, or I can say that uh, I used my skill. <laughs> I used my skill to help the team, and I'm solely responsible for the team winning. I don't know. But uh, the game was uh, definitely fun. I really like the mechanisms. I like the bumping up of the powers. Uh, you can definitely, um, if, if you have a power that you really like you can definitely take advantage of it you can definitely upgrade it and uh, it's actually fairly easy to uh, recharge your different powers which i wasn't sure of initially uh so the one thing that's kind of a bummer about this game is that it's hard to get uh, golden egg is going to be reprinting the game in the u.s we're looking at, I guess, approximately an October release. So if you're interested in checking this thing out, uh, definitely wait for the fall, and you should be able to uh, pick up a copy. Uh, so kind of recap here, I really enjoyed this game. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It didn't drag on too long uh, like some of these games might. Uh, I don't want to say it was too serious either. Uh, it just was fun, which is what these games should be. Actually, what's what any of these games should be, or any of the board games that we play. Uh, the rules book was, uh, or the rule book was, I guess you could probably say, by reading it, you know it was translated. Uh, without a doubt, it was translated. Uh, but uh, you can you know, pretty much figure out anything there uh it's very colorful i love the art and the examples that they have in there uh 
I guess they could just work on some of the text, fix that stuff up, and then it would be a really nice, really, really nice rule book. Uh, the box is good size. There's a ton of stuff in there. I really like the bits. No colorblind issues for me uh, whatsoever with this game. And uh, the artwork is uh, really nice. It's cartoony, which uh, I, I guess just shows you that it's more of a lighthearted game. Uh, it's not you know serious doom and gloom dungeon crawler style game. It's uh, it, it's it's a pretty fun game all the way around. So I can uh, maybe reach out a question to you guys. You know, did you ever hear about it? Probably not. <laughs> just like myself. But uh, you might want to check this one out as well if you like uh, dungeon crawl style games. So again, that was Super Fantasy Ugly Snouts Assault. Uh, definitely check it out. Moving on, we have the Institute for Magical Arts. This is going to be a 2015 release from Dr. Finn's Games. It's designed by Steve Finn. It plays two players in about 30 minutes and ages eight and up. Uh, this is a, a dice and card game uh, that uses area control as its main mechanism. A quick rundown here of the game is the Institute for Magical Arts is in a state of discord due to the mysterious disappearance of its principal magician and headmaster, Dr. Phineas. Two senior wizards are now contending to fill his shoes and bring a state of harmony back to the Institute. However, the wizards have contrasting ideas about the Institute's direction. To gain the title of headmaster, the wizards must gain the trust of their colleagues and gather as much magical power through the tools of their trade as possible. The Institute for Magical Arts is a two-player dice and area control game in which players use dice rolls to place power stones onto different cards in an attempt to win those cards. Once won, cards offer either special powers or victory points or both. This game is going to be on Kickstarter pretty soon here. Uh, it's designed by Steve Finn, uh, again, of Dr. Finn's Games. Uh, he's one of my favorite designers out there. He's done some really awesome games in the past, like Biblios. That's the one that he's probably best known for. And uh, that one's also just uh, been reprinted. So if you've had some difficulty getting a copy in the past, uh, definitely run out there and grab it now as soon as you can. And then uh, also he's done Gunrunners, uh, Capo de Copy, and some other games. Uh, when Stephen asked me to check this game out, uh, just early prototype, I jumped at the chance. I was real excited to check it out. Uh, this game is a card and dice game that's a very much a, a mix of uh, his one of his most more recent games, Capo de Copy, and Aroma from uh, Stefan Feld. Uh, at least that's kind of like how I interpret this game. I really enjoy both of those games, so it's bringing together some components from two games that I like. Hey, that's a double win there. Dr. Finn's games have always used dice in some pretty cool, uh, innovative ways, and if you've played his uh, previous games, you can definitely probably attest to that. Players sit on opposite sides of each other with uh, you know, the, the game space in between them. Uh, you're looking at red and blue for the different uh, wizards there. And there's six locations in the center uh, between the players, which will be represented by these cards with die faces on them, uh, one through six. And next to locations one through five, you put institute cards. Institute cards are either tools, they give you uh, abilities and actions, 
or they could be characters that usually just give you victory points at the end of the game. Some of them have uh, abilities on them that are permanent. Some are one-time use, and then some are instant, meaning that as soon as you acquire that card, you use that ability, and then you're done with it for the rest of the game. Uh, Permanent cards or permanent ability cards do have a cost associated with them, so you do have to pay every time you use those cards. They are not free. You have to pay for them with uh, these things called power stones. And, you know, you might put yourself in a situation where you don't have any to pay, and then, hey, you can't use it. Should have, I guess you should have planned better. And then uh, next to location number six, you start off with a special card called a portal card. I'll explain that in a couple seconds here. So uh, the, the basic gist of the game is that you're going to be rolling dice. You're going to have four dice. Uh, in your player's color, uh, and you're going to roll these. Uh, you do have the ability to re-roll. Uh, you start off with three re-roll tokens in the beginning of the game. But uh, you, you roll these dice, and then you place these action cards next to them, which uh, do a couple of different things, like either uh, adding stones to the locations or uh, taking power stones uh, to basically refill your supply. So you're going to be using these actions to place power stones on the different locations and using the area majority mechanic, uh, you're going to try to win those uh, different Institute cards and uh, bring them into your play area where you can score them and use their abilities and uh, stuff like that. Now the portal card that I mentioned uh, a little bit ago, that's a special card, which is going to allow you to move power stones around so you you place it on the you place power stones on the portal and then uh, when you get to this one particular phase of the game you can move to any other location the one through five basically uh, at the start of the game you can move power stones to one through five or another card which is called the ethereal realm now by putting power stones on the portal card that can be a very strategic thing for you to do because It gives you a lot of flexibility. You know, wherever your opponent might uh, try to get the upper hand on you and take the majority of that particular location, you can kind of combat that by putting uh, some cubes out onto the uh, portal location. Then the last card that I mentioned there, the Ethereal Realm, is also kind of an interesting card as well. If you're able to have the majority on that card, it can give you certain benefits like victory points. You can replenish your reroll tokens. You get three of them. Only in the game you can't have more than three. But if you run out, this is the only way to get them back. It also gives you uh, institute cards and a couple combinations of those as well. In front of you, you have your uh, play area. And there's three different zones. The leftmost zone is going to be where you're going to keep all of your uh, supply of your reroll tokens, your power stones, the cards that you've used up, um, victory points. There's a scoreboard that you're going to have. So you'll have that all on the left side. In the center is where you're going to have your four dice and your six action cards. And these are the cards that will uh, let you decide to uh, place one or two power stones onto the different locations or to take power stones. And I'll explain that just briefly here as I talk about the different phases of the game. And then on the rightmost side 
is where you have your uh, permanent cards. So these are cards that you can activate per turn. Again, you got to pay for them. They're not free. And unused one-time cards, you can have them there. So when you use them, you just shift them over to the left uh, left zone. Uh, you do start off the game with one Institute card. There's a couple of different cards uh, that are kind of uh, seed your play area with cards. So I guess potentially you could have the same, you and your opponent could have the same one. The victory point, or I'm sorry, the Institute cards do have a victory point value on them. So the initial cards that you start off with uh, ha- all have a value of one point. Uh, you do get two victory points as well. Uh, so in the beginning of the game, you do start off with three points. So uh, there's a little bit of a head start that you have, which kind of gets the game rolling. Uh, you don't have to just start absolutely from scratch. So you start off with three points. You have to earn 17 more or more, 17 uh, points. And then uh, uh, that's basically the goal in the game. Points-wise, game basically plays out in uh, five phases. Uh, so each turn, per se, is, is five phases. Uh, phase one uh, is roll your dice. So you take your four dice, you roll them, and you assign these action cards that you have. There's uh, six cards altogether. You've got place one stone, place two stones, or take stones. So you assign these uh, cards to your particular dice and when you place one or two stones the dice that you assign those cards to uh, basically says that you will be placing one or two stones on that location so if you put that card on a die that has just one pip on it you're going to be doing location one if you, if you do it to location six you're going to be placing it on the portal because in the beginning of the game the portal is on location number six if you use your take stones whatever uh, die you put that on is that's how many stones power stones you're taking from the general supply and putting it into your personal supply so that's how you replenish power stones that uh, you used up basically that you've assigned them to locations and you replenish them by taking stones so uh, as you assign these you place them face down uh, both players do this simultaneously, which is one thing that's also really cool about this game. There's uh, not too much downtime. Uh, you're basically going to be pretty active on both sides. Uh, and uh, I love that. Love that aspect of this game. Okay. After you've assigned your cards to your particular locations, again, they're face down. Then simultaneously, you uh, move on to phase two, where you reveal your cards and then you take your stones and then you place stones on the different locations, uh, one through six. That's pretty much it for phase two. Then you move on to phase three, which is using the portal. Now, here, what you wind up doing is uh, when you're on the portal, you have the ability to move power stones to other locations, meaning, so in the beginning of the game, if it's on location six, you can move to locations one through five, or you can move power stone over to the ethereal realm. Now, the thing that's really interesting about the ethereal realm is that players can cancel each other out. So what the ethereal realm gives you is pretty powerful. I mean, you can get uh, multiple points or you can refill your rerolls. Uh, you can get a card. I mean, there's some pretty cool abilities in there. 
And if your opponent has a power stone in there and you place a power stone in there, they, they cancel each other out so that you have the ability to put your power stone in there to remove your opponent's power stone. Now, granted, you are removing your own, but you can keep your opponent from, you know, getting a leg up on you by doing that. Then after you finish your portal usage there, at that point, you go into the next phase, which uh, you're going to be resolving your phase four powers. So if you choose, you can use your permanent cards. Some are going to be like phase four power cards. You use them at this point in phase four. There are numbers on these cards, and you do resolve these cards in order. So let's say if both players want to use powers uh, or want to use their institute cards at this particular phase, they first of all, again, have to pay uh, one power stone to use their ability on these cards. And then whoever has the lowest numbered card goes first. So if I have... If my card has a number two on it, my opponent has a number five, my card resolves first, then theirs. After uh, this is done, we move on to phase five, which is the final phase of the turn where you're basically going to be checking for ownership, I guess, of the different locations. And what that is, is you go through and you look at the locations. You start off with the lowest number, number one, you work your way up to number six and you basically count the power stones that are on there on those particular institute cards and you try to determine if someone has met the I'll call it the purchase cost of that particular card now in the upper left hand corner of the cards there's going to be two numbers one number is on a flag and then there's a number in a little circle what the flag number is is that is the cost of the card in power stones that you have to have on the location. So that is like the minimum number that you need. Then there's going to be a little circle number to uh, right next to that. And that's the surpass number. So if I have five is my cost and my surpass number is two, what that means is it requires five power stones to purchase that card or to acquire that card. But you must have a minimum of two power stones more than your opponent. So if I had five, my opponent had four power stones on there, I do not get that card. However, if I had five, they had three, it's mine. I got it because I had a minimum of of two more than my opponent. So some of these cards uh, will be a little tough to get, especially if you're vying for it with your opponent, just because uh, you're basically going to be chasing, you're going to try to out. I guess, uh, out um, control that area and uh, you wind up like chasing each other. It's, it gets kind of interesting, kind of heated sometimes. So uh, that's kind of like how that stuff works. After the ownership is checked and if you get cards, take them off of there, you put them in your area. If it's a immediate use, you get that ability right away. Otherwise, it goes in your rightmost area where you can save it for one-time use or permanent use uh, later on. Now, at this point, you slide all the cards down. Any power stones that are on the Institute cards move down with them. So you place these power stones on 
the actual Institute card, not on the location card. Make sure to do that so when you slide them down, they move with the card. Uh, one special consideration with the portal is that the portal will, when, when it reaches location one, it goes back to location six and all the cubes get cleared off of it. Any gaps then get refilled with the deck. So you get some new Institute cards in there and you just repeat. So uh, you start over from phase one, roll your dice, assign cards, and just keep going up until somebody reaches uh, 20 points total. So the Institute cards, they had a pretty good mix of different abilities. Uh, there's a lot of cards in there that let you move things around, which uh, definitely makes the game a little interesting. So you can move things around, you can add, you can remove power stones, your, your opponents, and such. Tools are the ones that give you that ability. The player cards, or the, I'm sorry, the characters, are the ones that are going to be giving you victory points at the end of the game. Usually it's something along the lines of, you know, the more characters you have, the more victory points you score. I did mention this game is a little similar to Roma, not just in the base mechanics. It's definitely not as confrontational as Roma. I really can't speak for the quality of components since I've played a prototype version, but the, the card art on the game is pretty nice. I really do like the, the fantasy magic feel to the art and uh, to the gameplay. So there you have the Institute for Magical Arts. Uh, again, it's going to be on Kickstarter uh, probably next couple of days here from when this is recorded. Uh, if you're listening to this uh, after the Kickstarter, definitely check the game out uh, in your local stores, I guess. This is a pretty fun little two-player game. I, I really enjoy two-player games. And again, it's uh, got that little similarity with how it functions with the dice and the cards, like what you have in Roma. And it's also got that cool area control mechanism from Top of the Copy that uh, I really enjoyed. So uh, definitely check this one out. And uh, definitely check out the Kickstarter uh, when it uh, goes up. Uh, I definitely would like to see this game made. Now, I'd like to get off the topic of games here for a little bit and uh, talk about a game store. I haven't been traveling uh, anywhere really over the last couple of weeks for work. Uh, I usually just hit some uh, local game stores for wherever I'm traveling. And in this case, I'm actually going to talk about one of the game stores that uh, I happen to enjoy most here in the Chicago area. And that is Games Plus in Mount Prospect, Illinois. Now, this is uh, probably one of the oldest game stores here in the Chicago area. It's over 30 years old, uh, and it has uh, one really big distinction amongst uh, all the other stores, at least that I've been to here in the Chicago area, and that it's a very blue store. Uh, the whole front of it is painted uh, uh, a nice bright blue, so you can definitely spot this store. It uh, is in Mount Prospect, Illinois, right by the Metro Station. So uh, Metro, uh, for those that don't know in Chicago or Chicago area, uh, Metro is the, uh, I guess, the commuter rail line. It's not like Chicago uh, L-Tracks or Subway or anything like that. It's the ones that actually have the, the real locomotives. I know a lot of communities will have something similar. So if you're going to be in the Chicago area, you can definitely take uh, the Metro out to Mount Prospect and basically just walk across the street and uh, from the station and you are at Games Plus. So um, when you go in the store, 
there's uh, a whole lot of stuff in there to see. Uh, it's, again, a very old store. Uh, it's definitely uh, not uh, as modern as some of uh, the newer stores that you might see. However, the selection of the newer stores usually pales in comparison to what these guys have. Uh, when you walk in, there's a really fairly big selection of Warhammer uh, miniature kind of stuff on the right-hand side. Uh, I don't tend to uh, go in there very often. I've only been in that section a couple of times since uh, I prefer board games and card games, uh, since those are my main thing. Uh, as you continue on, you come up to the cashier area, and uh, every time I walk in there, uh, they're always friendly. They always say hello and uh, definitely willing to chat with uh, anybody that uh, is, is willing to chat back. Uh, up on the left-hand side, uh, the first couple of aisles uh, have a whole bunch of stuff in terms of minis and painting. You got your paints, uh, your foam for storage, and uh, one of my favorite areas of the store is the end caps right there. So the first uh, three or four end caps usually have all of the new releases. So something that's just come out goes right in the end cap over there, and uh, you can definitely see what came out within the last uh, week or two, as you'll almost always find it there. Then after uh, the first three aisles over there, the next one you're going to have all the magazines. They have a pretty good selection of magazines, you know, a lot of war game stuff. Uh, they'll have uh, Spielbox uh, the English version uh, magazines are in there as well. Occasionally you'll find uh, like the GMT uh, C3i. So uh, that's always a bonus whenever you see one of those in there. The back half of the store is uh, kind of like where all of the really good stuff is. Uh, it's a couple aisles in there. Uh, all the way in the left-hand side aisle, you'll find a lot of miniatures, Dungeons and Dragons, role-playing, Kind of stuff. Then the next aisle over is uh, one that uh, I happen to enjoy a lot. <laughs> that has a lot of the very thematic games uh, that we've uh, come to know and love. In addition to a really large selection of war games, they've got uh, you know all your GMTs and uh, all the other different companies. What MMP. There's ASL stuff in there. There's a huge selection of that. Uh, pretty much anything that you'd uh, really want to see, you'll probably find in there, or at least one copy. Then uh, moving over to the next aisle, you'll find, uh, this is like the middle aisle now, left to right, you'll find uh, Euros, a lot of card games, and then towards the back will be a lot of um, your little uh, flying miniature games and uh, some of the uh, little miniature war games. Next aisle over, hero clicks, more miniatures, and then the last aisle again, uh, a lot more miniatures. Uh, as you can see, there is quite a bit of miniature stuff in, in this store. However, there's also a ton of board game stuff. Some stores will be really light on one, heavy on the other. These guys have a ton of everything which is one of the reasons why I love uh, going to the store so much. Then uh, up towards, uh, or in between those aisles and the cashier, you'll also find the CCG section as well as 
the LCG section and uh, lots of good stuff in there as well. The store is always well stocked. The shelves are always full. Uh, it's not like some stores where you'll have gaps, you know, here and there and just things filling up space. The shelves are absolutely crammed with stuff and it's a really good selection, really good selection of new stuff, stuff that's a couple of years old. And you might even find something that's been out of print for a little while that somebody hasn't snapped up. Uh, there is a very large game room that's uh, uh, attached by uh, some glass doors. Uh, the game room is, uh, it's definitely been there for a while. You know, it's not the, the newest space uh, that you might find in terms of decorations and such. However, it is purely functional. Uh, the tables are used for miniatures, for uh, role-playing, for board games, you name it. Uh, they have all sorts of different events on different days of the week. I think they have stuff on every day except Monday because they are open seven days a week. On uh, the, like Tuesday through Sunday, they'll have uh, magic uh, days, uh, miniatures, gaming, uh, Flames of War, D&D, uh, board gaming, Pathfinder, War Machine, Heroclix, you name it. They, they play it there. And uh, they're... On those game nights, there's always a ton of people in there. When I go to a lot of other stores, I eventually, in my head, usually wind up comparing the other stores to Games Plus. And uh, more often than not, I'm usually left disappointed in one way or another, uh, basically wishing that I was at Games Plus instead, just because a lot of stores just won't have the selection that I'm used to with Games Plus. Uh, I, when I go in there, I love to look through the new releases and they are new releases. Oftentimes you go to stores, it's going to be kind of like going to, I don't know, Barnes and Noble. You go to these stores and you see stuff that's kind of new, but it's not the stuff that came out this month or last month. It's the stuff that came out earlier this year or worse yet last year. And games plus always has recent stuff. I have no idea how these guys manage their inventory because, uh, I don't know, I, I would expect all these barcode scanners and custom labels like you might see at some stores. But these guys just have an old-fashioned price gun, and they just, you know, just put the old-style uh, old you know, price tags on there that we've seen for the last 20, 30 years. But somehow they manage to do their inventory right and get the products out there, out there on the shelves. If you see a game that disappears, you'll see it reordered. So their inventory system, however, it, however it's done, is uh, magical in terms of, of how it must work. Uh, the guys there that work there are always friendly, always talkative. They're willing to help look things up. Uh, if they don't have something in stock that you're interested in, they'll immediately offer to order it. And uh, I found uh, pretty much that the different employees that work there have their own specialties. These are the things that they're really familiar with. Uh, there's a lot of them that have a big background in like war gaming, miniatures. Uh, you know, they know a lot about painting and uh, you know just gaming in general. So the, the place is run by gamers, and they're longtime employees. 
Uh, it's not really like the, the fly-by-night guys who just hire anybody off the street. Uh, there is a bathroom uh, in the gaming area. It's pretty functional. Again, you know, not the most stylish of bathrooms, but uh, hey, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, for food, for gaming, if you're just hungry while you're gaming or if you're into browse and you're hungry, uh, they do have some snacks up by the counter and there's a, a pretty nice pop machine in the in the game room there. So overall, uh, this store is fantastic. It's uh, probably my most favorite game store that uh, I've ever gone to. And again, I compare every store to these guys because for me, they have set the bar. So if you're in Chicago area, definitely check out Games Plus and Mount Prospect. And uh, if you're visiting, uh, definitely try to make a trip out there. You might see something uh, that you like. Okay, moving on to the 20 Shows Ago segment. Uh, Here we're going back to June 16th, 2012, which was episode number 13. And this was titled Avengers Chips and Digital Games. Uh, Here we talked about uh, a number of different things. The games that we hit up on this show included Busy Town Airport. Now, this is a game, if you're not familiar with it, this is a game that is uh, kind of uh, one of those, uh, oh, I forgot the guy's name, but... uh, I'm jolly, I think, uh, but uh, it's uh, uh, definitely a kiddie game. But what's interesting about it is that the box is used as part of the game, and it becomes an airport. Then you have these airplanes that uh, you use, and uh, hopefully you'll make some nice airplane noises as you run around the room with these things. They really remind me kind of like of those balsa airplanes that uh, people made when they were kids. But... Uh, you will run around the room going to different uh, uh, destinations to pick up passengers uh, and goods, etc. And it's just a pretty cool little game. Uh, my son really enjoyed it when he was little. He's six now, so he's, he, I mean, he still likes it, but I think it held uh, a different uh, kind of um, level when he, was, uh, when he was a little bit younger. But uh, Busy Town Airport, uh, definitely one of the better kids' games out there. Uh, if you're not familiar with it and you have children, definitely check it out. Uh, moving on, we've got Lords of Waterdeep. Hey, what can I say? Uh, Lords of Waterdeep uh, is kind of like uh, a classic little game that is, uh, is sort of like a gateway game, but is actually pretty decent. And this is the original version, not the uh, later released expansion to the game and here a couple of years later i think the game still holds up it doesn't really have the you know hype that it did back then but uh i think this is definitely an enjoyable game and it's one that's probably worth keeping around in the collection to uh play once in a while and maybe uh, you can just bust it out when you're trying to introduce people to the hobby uh moving on we've got balloon cup now balloon cup uh has been uh unavailable for some time it's been out of print. However, it was recently reprinted in its original format. So uh, it was originally done with balloons as a, or not balloons. Uh, it was originally done as a pinata style game. And so the recent version is pretty darn close to Balloon Cup. It's about 95% the same game. So pinata is 95% the same game as Balloon Cup. And, uh, but it's, it's just as fun, just as enjoyable. And this is a pretty cool little two-player game. Uh, 
has a pretty cool little mechanism to it where uh, you're trying to get the high cards in certain locations, the low cards in others, and uh, it's it's definitely a fun game. Balloon Cup is on Yukata, although I find it kind of hard. It's, I guess, along with a lot of games, I'm... I don't really care to play them on Yukata just because they just take forever if you're playing with um, most people. However, if you're playing in real time with somebody, I guess it could be a lot better. Then uh, there was a little bit of talk on Tooth and Nail. This is a small box games game, uh, which I had the pleasure of playing afterwards. And I, I liked it uh, fair enough. It's uh, It's a pretty cool little game. Uh, small box games makes a ton of really good games. If you like their games, definitely check this one out. Uh, talked about sedition wars, uh, battle for alabaster is a full name. The, this is one of those games that had the Kickstarter miniatures craze on it and really fell flat when it came out. People were really getting rid of this game, uh, whenever they could. Uh, this is just an interesting turn for this game I even think that uh, even now, a couple of years later, uh, they've uh, been hit pretty hard by the issues that they've had with, uh, I guess, uh, a so-so game. Uh, there's been some talk of, I guess, new rules. I haven't really been paying close attention to this, but uh, I don't know if it's changed at all uh, recently to make it worth getting. But uh, Sedition Wars is one that I'm not really going to be uh, looking into very much and then lastly there's twilight struggle for pc this was one that i was really excited about it's like hey twilight struggle pc play online awesome awesome so it was part of the p500 program instantly signed up i actually became a beta tester for them and this one really kind of petered out it really dwindled to like nothing it got canceled uh earlier this year which was kind of a bummer. However, GMT kind of stepped in there and decided to make a another version available for like mobile platforms and all that good stuff. It was on Kickstarter and it just tore it up. It just did fantastic. So the original version here that we talked about, the PC edition, uh, unfortunately it just went nowhere. But out of the ashes came a fantastic, well, we don't know yet, I guess, because it's not out yet. But the possibilities of what is planned looks like it's going to be pretty darn sweet. And I'm really excited for the new version. Sad to see the old one go, but hey, we kind of got the same thing in a more modern version. So uh, that's awesome. So that is it for episode number 33. Uh, oh, actually, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I just want to hit up the game list section real quick. Uh, for this show, I've only got two things. Uh, there was actually a whole bunch of stuff that I wanted to talk about, but some of it is from, uh, it's actually going to be released in Gen Con, so I think I might want to cover it in the Gen Con episode instead. But the two main ones that I'm really looking forward in the near future are going to be Doomtown Reloaded from AEG and Imperial Settlers, from Portal. So Doomtown Reloaded, Reloaded, I'm sure you've heard about this thing. They're bringing back the Doomtown game in kind of like, uh, I guess, a living card game format, sort of, kind of. 
I love the art on this game. It really reminds me of the game uh, Revolver uh, that came out uh, a while back. And I, I love those Western-style artwork uh, uh, on these games. Just love it. Fantastic. Done so well. And I'm really excited to play that game. Uh, this is one uh, that's pretty much an insta-buy for me. Um, I don't think it really matters what people's opinions are going to be on. I'm just going to grab this thing. And it looks like it's pretty affordable, uh, at least with, uh, you know, one box. I think gives you four four sets or four decks to play with. So, again, I'm excited about that. There is a, uh, like, a super mega premium version that's coming out uh that one really has me interested. However, I heard that uh, it's extremely limited and then stores are just going to be getting like one copy each, if that. But if there's enough interest, they might uh, do an actual print run for that in the future. And I really hope that they do because uh, I'd really be interested in that. However, I guess if I have this, well, I don't know about that later, <laughs> about what versions I have. Uh, then the next one is Imperial Settlers. Again, this is from Portal. Now, I'm a big fan of 51st State. I, I love those card games. I, I call them the card game board games because it's a card game that plays like a board game almost. So I'm really interested in uh, seeing what Ignacy uh, Chevichek did uh, with this game, and uh, I, I can't wait to play it. Uh, it's, uh, again, an insta-buy for me. So uh, that's it for the game list section. Kind of a recap of the games that I've talked about today in the main section here is uh, we've got uh, Lexio, also known as Lectio. Man, I I really enjoy this game. It's kind of a, a light game, but the, the components on it are fantastic. I love the big, heavy Bakelite pieces, and uh, it just plays so quick, plays so smooth. And when you go in there and you just kind of like just trump everybody, it's 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 a blast. It's a blast. So uh, I really like that game. Unfortunately, it's not too available here in the U.S., but uh, if you really want it, you can get it, or I guess you can kind of make your own copy. Next up is Paperback Deck Builder with letters to make words. So it's a deck builder and a word builder. This was a surprise hit for me. I didn't really know what to expect going into it. Well, I kind of expected the worst, but I loved this game, and it's a a must-have for me. And anybody that uh, really likes word games, you can probably use this as a um, kind of like a gateway game for them. Really simple to learn and a lot of fun. Fantastic game paperback. Definitely check that out. Super Fantasy Ugly Snout's Attack is, uh, or Assault, is uh, probably the oddest name for a game and uh, probably one of the coolest dungeon crawlers I've played. Kind of a, a lighthearted game, but uh, not light on fun. It has uh, got a ton of fun. It's uh, a blast to play. From what I understand, it's pretty tough, but uh, hey, Maybe you can just step up kind of like I did and and help the team win. So uh, definitely check that one out. It's going to be reprinted uh, later this year. 
And then lastly, Institute for the Institute for Magical Arts. This one's going to be on Kickstarter pretty soon here from Dr. Finn's Games. Uh, this is a pretty cool little card game, card and dice game, two-player game, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, definitely check out the Kickstarter because I'd love to see this game made. So there you have it. Uh, that is uh, everything for episode number 33. Again, I'm Rob Milanovich, your host for today. Uh, definitely check out the Twitter, uh, Twitterverse, I guess, uh, and follow T Board Game Life, which is um, our account here. Uh, we have a guild on BGG. Check that out. Join it. And uh, we have YouTube videos, uh, which is uh, youtube.com slash thisboardgamelife. I'll be getting some more videos up there pretty darn soon. So thanks for listening, everybody. I'll catch you all next time.